So hey, uh, my name is Josh. Uh, my wife and I and Hunter and Julia are the staff uh, with Kyle and so we're thrilled to be here. I'm thrilled to continue in our series called Counterfeit Gods, where we are looking at the counterfeit gods of money, sex, and power. Tough, right? It's going to be a great semester. Uh, tonight, we are kicking off our series called Get That Bread, um, which is super exciting. We have a very fun graphic we're going to put up here, and we're going to be uh, introing at least the next two weeks talking about, <laughs> is that funny to you? Uh, talk, yeah, it's bread, you know, like, but bread, like, because sometimes you call money bread, like, yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, and so we're going to be talking about money, we're talking about the topic of money for at least the next two weeks, and here's what I know. When I say that we're going to be talking about money, instantly, all of you have a certain emotion. And for, for each of you, that emotion is different. For some of you, you're like, yo, we, 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 ain't, we ain't gotta talk about that. Like, I grew up in a home that doesn't talk about money. Like, we don't, if we just pretend like it doesn't exist, it will always be there. That's not true. You're gonna have to talk about money. We're gonna have to figure out what money is and what money does and what money as a Christian means and what it means to live our lives with Jesus while still being able to talk about money. Some of you, you grew up in homes where you are all, always a saver. Like whenever you get money, you put it in your pocket, you put it in the bank, you save it underneath your pillowcase, you put it on your end table. Like whatever you can do, you save all of your money. Like it's just what you've done, it's what your family did, and so you're just like constantly saving, always, always saving, always saving, always saving. Some of you when, when you, when you think about money, when money comes to you, money goes through you. Do you know what I mean? Like, you like, like this money is on fire. Like, I cannot keep this money in my pocket. I have to get it out right now. And so as soon as you have it, it is gone. Some of you have never had to think about money. Some of you are thinking, man, I could be at work right now making some money. But what we know is that money is a big deal to us. Money is a big deal to the world. And so we need to find a way to talk about money and talk about money in a way that matters. It sometimes feels weird to talk to college students about money because some of you are making negative money right now. Do you know what I mean? Like you are in that, uh, you're having fun with those student loans. Uh, and you're like, man, what are those interest payments going to be like? I can tell you um, from personal experience, the student loans are not a lot of fun. Uh, I am really glad that we went to college. I'm really glad that Katie and I were able to meet each other. So it makes the student loans totally worth it, if you know what I mean. Uh, but there's a sense that like, as we continue to pay them off, it's like, yo, we made a lot of negative money in college. And it's like, so like why? Some of you have part-time jobs right now. You work at the Outback or you are a flipping boy. Um, and so like, you've got a lot of stuff going on. Like You are trying to figure out how to make money and how to survive on what little money you can make as a college student. It's like, so why, why talk about money when we're in college? Because if you don't understand how to use money now, you'll never understand how to use it. Understanding how to use money when you have a little money is the best way to prepare yourself for when you'll have more money. The statistics say that you are more likely to tithe. When I say tithe, it's like, oh, hey, what does that mean? That's a weird word. Tithe is a word that literally means tenth. It's from uh, the Old Testament. And, and the Bible tells us that we should give a tenth of our possessions back to God. So this, we should give this in the, the Old Testament. We gave this back to the priests. We gave it to the temple. And there's this sense that, and you, so anyways, back to the statistic. The statistic is you are more likely to tithe, to give a tenth of your income to the church, if you make less than $20,000 than if you make more than $75,000. 
Think about that for a minute. Like many of us, when we talk about money, we're like, man, I'll do that when I make more money. Or I'll, I'll be able to do this when I have more money. Or when I have more, I'll do, I, and, but it actually never works itself out because we never taught ourselves, we never trained ourselves how to live generous lives. We never trained ourselves how to be stewards of money. Money was always this thing that we never wanted to talk about, and so we never knew what to do with it. And that's why I'm thrilled to be talking about this topic to you all in this room today so that you can set yourselves up for success, so that you can live, um, so that you can live generous lives, so that you can live lives of good stewardship, and so that you can work for a long obedience in the right direction. But as we talk about money, we're setting ourselves up for the long game. It's not just about the here and now, but it's about the long game of how we can form ourselves, how we can shape ourselves to be generous stewards of what the Lord has given us. And can I be honest with you? Like, this is really hard today. Like, as you live in college, and, and like, the American dream is that you should get all that you can get, and you should, like, the whole goal is to keep leveling up when it comes to income, right? The whole goal is to keep making more money, to make more money, to make more money. Many of you came to college in order to increase your ability to make money. That's what your parents are expecting of you. That's what, like, when you were home over winter break, Everybody's asking what your major was. You're like, yo, I've only been there for a semester. You need to chill with the major talk. Like, I'm still trying to figure it out. They're like, well, we're just trying to make sure you get a major that's going to make a lot of money. Because, you know, like, we have been working so hard for you to get to this point in order for you to then get a job that makes a lot of money that will then set you up for another job that makes more money that will then set you up for another job that makes more money so that you can just make, because it's all, you just got to make a lot of money. It's like, what? For what? For why? For how? What does this even mean? It shouldn't, like, and... And so that is why we're going to talk about money. We're going to set the record straight on money. We're going to see what the Lord would say about money. Did you know that Jesus talks about money more than he talks about heaven and hell in the Gospels? Money is constantly... I was like, yo, Sam's like, we talking about money, he was rolling out. Uh, money is constantly on Jesus' mind, and money is constantly an example that Jesus is using and so we're going to be talking about it. I got some quotes here as we start in our series. The first one is from Bonhoeffer. It says, Earthly goods are given to be used, not to be collected. Hoarding is idolatry. Yo, that's a tough word. The next one, uh, the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. That's from John Wesley. Another good one. And then maybe my favorite quote of the night uh, from the Notorious B.I.G., Mo money, mo problems. You know what I mean? And so like, uh, as we live our lives, like culture would tell us a lot about money, but let's take a chance to turn to the Bible and see what Jesus has to say about money. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, we have some available at the hospitality table. Uh, and we'd be happy to give you one of those. You can take it home with you. You can put it in your backpack, which is also called a book bag. There was a big debate at the Moran House this afternoon about whether or not those two terms were synonymous. Um, I won because I'm the adult. Um, and so uh, we're going to be reading a story. Uh, the NIV subheading that I have here says the rich in the kingdom of God. We're going to be starting in verse 17. We're going to be reading the story of the rich young ruler. This story, uh, does anybody need a Bible? Mark, chapter 10. Need a Bible? Right, y'all? Yeah, it feels like Oprah. I know. Need a Bible? Need a Bible? Mark, 
Mark is one of the Gospels. If you find yourself in the middle, keep turning. Matthew, then Mark, chapter 10, verse 17. So this is the story of the rich young ruler. This story is told in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's from all three of those that we know this is a rich young ruler. Uh, in one of the gospels, he's called rich. In one of them, he's called young. Here, he's called a ruler. And so we put all those together, and we find out that he's the rich young ruler. And that's how he's known in tradition, if you will, uh, as the rich young ruler. And so we're going to look at this story. And then we're also going to turn later to Mark chapter 12, which is just one page over, um, and we're going to compare the story of the rich young ruler to the story of the widow's might. And so we're going to read starting in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, ever the question asker, says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. So let's set the stage here. Here we've seen uh, Jesus is traveling. Uh, he is started on his way and a man runs up to him. Jesus has, stories have been getting out about Jesus. Jesus travels here, he travels there. It says Jesus is traveling throughout the Gospel of Mark. And what we know is that people, the word begins to get out about Jesus and people are like coming to find him. Like, yo, we heard this story like, he, like he stayed up all night, like three nights ago, and he healed everybody that came. And I heard he drove out a demon. I heard he drove out two demons. I heard it was seven at one time. And like, oh, that was actually out of me. Uh, and like, like this, like there are all these rumors are spreading. People are running up to Jesus. And this man runs up to Jesus, fell on his knees, and says, "Good teacher." What we know about this man so far in our story is that he reveres God. He falls down on his knees. He knows who Jesus is, and he wants to learn from him. He wants to see what Jesus would say. He ha well, we, we'll find out later that, that he is a rich man. He is a ruler. He's of the ruling class. Like He, on the outside, as society would have looked at him, they would have said, this guy has it all together. This guy's got it all, but this man knew something was missing. And so he runs to Jesus, he falls down in, in a place of reverence, and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There is something missing from my life, and I know that you're the one that has it. What is it, Jesus? And Jesus says, dude, that's easy. Man, keep the commands. And like Jesus lists up all these things like, you know the commands, you shall not murder. Okay, I can do that. Other than assassins, you're allowed to do that in assassins. Uh, you, shall not commit, you shall not commit adultery. Check. You shall not steal. Like, do you mean like once, or do you mean like repeatedly, Jesus? Like, like these are the questions I would be asking. But instead, this man's like, teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And I'm like, oh man, this dude is legit. So not only is he rich, not only is he a ruler, but he's also one who has kept all the commands since he was a boy. But still, something was missing. <laughs> Jesus looked at him and loved him. I don't want us to miss this part of the verse right here. I love this part. Like, like this, this random guy comes running up to Jesus, falls down in front of him, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. A man that Jesus had never met, a man that Jesus had never talked to, a man who was coming to learn, Jesus looked at him and loved him. 
And so what's going to happen next in our passage can sometimes be read as a reprimand, but I, I have not read it that way. As I read it, as I read it in light of this verse right here, I see that Jesus is, has a hope for this man. Jesus has a hope for him, and Jesus is encouraging him on to the right way. So Jesus looked at him, he loved him, he said, One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So Jesus looks at this man and says, Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, then come follow me. Come have the internship of a lifetime. Some of you right now are looking for summer internships. You're looking for summer research projects. You've been checking those things out. You've been hitting those apply buttons. You've been talking to professors. You've been trying to do all those things. And Jesus like pulls this guy aside and is like, yo, come with me. You can do an internship with me, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, like the guy you just fell in front of. Like we can be on the road together. I'll take you under my wing. Come on, man, let's go. Just sell everything and let's go. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. So the man walks away. Misses his chance at a, at a, life, a once in a lifetime opportunity. He misses his chance of, of being there with Jesus. And I think it probably looked a lot like this. <laughs> this is the way. And he rolls out. He walks away. He can't get over how much he has. He doesn't want to give it up. He doesn't. He wants to hold on to it. He like for whatever reason, he looks at Jesus and, and he just walks away. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God." The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Then who can be saved? Do you know how hard it is for the camel to get through an eye of a needle? Like the camel is like the largest of animals that, that they would have known, that they would have seen, that would have traveled around them and like, yo, like the eye of a needle really small, the camel really big. Like, how is this possible, Jesus? It turns out we should just like nobody can have money. This is not a thing. What? And Jesus continues, he says, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then, then Peter, Peter spoke up. I love Peter because I so much relate to Peter. He was like, hey, Jesus, I just want to remind you, we left everything to follow you. Like this man right here, he wouldn't do it, but we the disciples did. We put down our nets. We were all poor fishermen, so it was really easy for us to give it up. And so we came with you, Jesus, and I just want you to write that down, put it in the back of your mind. You just remember that's what we did. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions. <clears throat> oh, that's tough. Actually, you know what? We'll just leave that part out. How's that sound? Uh, so if you follow Jesus, if you give up everything you have and you follow Jesus, you will get a uh, uh, hundred more homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life, but many who are first will be last, and the last first. Fascinating, right? 
It seems obvious to us now as we look back and we look back at this rich young ruler and we're like, man, he missed it. He held on to what he shouldn't have held on to. He held on to what has now spoiled and faded. This 2,000 years ago, everything that that man held on to himself has now decayed, has now rotted, is now literally worth nothing. And he missed out on the opportunity of a lifetime because he felt like he had to have his money. Because money was his idol. Because money was the thing that was standing between him and Jesus. And he was saying, I would do everything except submit my financial life to God. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't know what that would look like, Jesus. The unknown is too great when I can't hold on to that which has given me security, to that which has given me hope, to that which allows me to be who I am. So Jesus, I'm going to take that with me and I'm going to roll the dice on my own. And Jesus says, if you were to give up all that, you'll get even more back because of the life that you'll have with me. To live a life that is, that is free from having to have your security from something else, to live a life that is free from having to constantly worry about money, to live a life that is abandoned to Jesus would be worth more in this present age, a hundred times more, and would be worth even more than that in the eternal age to follow him and to submit your financial life to Jesus. I think this story shows us that you can get everything right and still get everything wrong. That's who this man was who had gotten everything right for so long, but yet he still got everything wrong because of what he wanted to hold on to, because of the idol that was in his own life. And in his life it was finances. And as we talk about this, I think it's easy to be like, yo, so this means Jesus doesn't like money. This means Jesus is against rich people, right? Nope. That's not what it means. What we've seen throughout the biblical text is that many of the heroes of the faith were rich. David, Abraham. Like, as, as we read about stories in the Old Testament, these people had coin. They had coin upon coin. Like, they had it in spades. What we know about like Lydia, as the church was started in Philippi, Lydia would have, would have had a home that was large enough to host the entire church in her living room. And as that church grew, they continued to meet there. She was one who had much. She had much wealth. She had much status. But she did not let that define who she was. It wasn't the first thing in her life. It was just a thing in her life. Jesus was the first thing in her life. And so Jesus doesn't have a problem with money per se, but oftentimes what happens in our society, in American society specifically, is that what, when we look at people, how much money they have is the way that we esteem them. How much money they have is the way that, that we feel like, okay, that makes them important or it makes them less important if they don't have any. Sometimes this is how we feel as individuals. Like if we do have money, we feel more important. If we have less money, we feel less important. And so like money has become a status thing as opposed to just being a uh, Thing. So it's not bad to have money. It's not bad to talk about money. It is bad when money becomes the thing that is more important to you than Jesus. That is more important to you than God's kingdom and doing what he would have and what he would say to you. I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 12. I want to contrast this earlier story with the story of the widow's offering starting in verse 41. Verse 41 says, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. I think that's a fascinating line in and of itself. Like what we, Jesus is like sitting up, he's sitting up with his homies, and he's sitting there and he's watching people put money into the offering plate. 
Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to like overanalyze this, but I do think it is important for us to know that Jesus does care about money. And Jesus cares about what we do with our money. Jesus cares about how our money is spent and how we as stewards are, with the money that has been entrusted to us, what we do with it. And so Jesus is there watching it. Uh, and so many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And I think it's, it's, it's very important here that you understand that, that Mark is going out of his way to tell us that there were two copper coins. And the reason I feel like that is important because this woman literally has nothing. If we're going to find this out, like Jesus is going to say this just in a moment. Jesus is calling his disciples to him. Jesus says, truly I tell you, the poor widow has put in more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. It's important for us to know that she had two copper coins because she could have kept one of them. She could have chosen to hold on to one of those. Like it is, it is literally all that she has, but she puts it all into the offering. Instead of holding back one, she gives Jesus everything. She says, here, I surrender my financial life. I surrender my financial future. I surrender myself unto you. And Jesus says, no one put more into the treasury. She put more in than all of the others. So we look at the two different people, the rich young ruler and the widow here, and, and neither of them, we don't even know either of their names. The rich young ruler, for all of his wealth, we don't know who he was. We don't know what he had. We don't know what he left behind. The widow, for all that she didn't have, we still also don't know her name because that's not the important part of the juxtaposition in these two passages. The important part is as we look at their hearts, as we look at who they are, we look at the way that they treated money in relation to their relationship with Jesus, we see which was more important. And as we look at these two stories, it's like, yo, which one do we want to be? Do we want to go on the ride of a lifetime, the internship with Jesus, or do we want to walk away sad because we're holding on to that which we feel like is ours, though it's something just the Lord has given us? And so tonight, I'm going to get really practical here at the end. Now, I just want to talk about some ways that we can view our money and things that we can do with our money in order to set ourselves up to be more like the widow as opposed to the rich young ruler. The first one I'm going to talk about, I've already alluded to, is I want to talk about the tithe. So I'm going to talk about, you know, if you've attended church or if you've been in church uh, and you've been there on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Saturday night, whatever your church does, uh, they talk about the we're going to take up the tithes and offerings. And you're like, yo, what does that mean? Uh, and so, what, so again, just to kind of refresh from the very beginning of the message, like a tithe literally means a tenth. And in the Old Testament, the, the Old Testament law taught us that we should give a tenth of everything that we've had off the top and give it back into the temple, give it back into the Lord as a symbol of what the Lord has done for us and what he continues to do for us. And that, that we would still live off of 90%, but that, the, but that we would give the first 10% to Jesus, that we would give the first 10% to the church, and that we would say this is uh, what we're going to set aside because of what you've done for us as a reminder unto us. As a, and so the first point is, I believe that if we're going to live generous lives, that we need to start by being people who would commit to tithing. Uh, and I think that we do this because, one, it is an act of worship. Uh, it's an act of worship to say, like, I surrender myself to you, Jesus. I'm not going to, 
say that I know better than you. I'm not going to say that I'm a better steward. I'm not going to say that I, like I'm a better investor. I'm not going to say any of those things. I'm going to say, God, I'm just going to trust you. I don't know how it's going to work out. As I, as, I, as I add the numbers up, I'm like, I'm not sure what this looks like or how this is going to be. But I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to have an act of worship. And I'm going to say, God, I'm going to give to you my financial future, my financial life, and say, I will set aside this for you. And I believe it's a good way for us to train ourselves to be more dependent upon God. And that as we become dependent upon God in our financial life, it will then play out in other areas of our life as we begin to understand what that take that step of faith looks like. I also believe the tithe is a good thing because it gives us a good starting point. Um, I, I hope, like, here's the thing. Some people are like, oh, you keep saying, like, the tithe and... You keep quoting this Old Testament law, but like, oh, I don't know if you read the memo, Josh, if you read the second half of the story, but we don't live under the Old Testament law anymore. And I'm like, you're right. You are absolutely right. So you're like, so that means I don't have to tithe, right? And I'm like, you are absolutely right. That is technically what it means. But I actually believe the New Testament teaches radical generosity. And that Jesus doesn't ask you just for 10%. He's asking you for a whole lot more than 10%. So that as you start with that 10%, you can then work your way up to giving more and more and more. So Katie and I have a line item in our budget. The very top one is our tithe, and so we set that aside every month. And then the very next line item is a uh, missions line item for us to be able to give to missionaries here in America and around the world. Um, and then the next line item is like a random generosity. And so for us to be able to just like give some money away at different points, at different times, uh, so that we can live radically generous lives, as opposed to just feeling like the tithe is like the uh, ceiling, we see it as the floor. This is the starting point. That there will never be a time in our lives that we will not give 10% to the Lord. Because I know in a, in a world that is desperate for financial freedom, in a world where there are so many needs that to live off of 90%, is still actually living off a heck of a whole lot. And that as we set aside that, that, that space, as we set aside that portion of our income, we realize that it, it leads us to living more generous lives. And so that's the third point. It fuels us towards a lifestyle of good stewardship and generosity. When I feel like I'm, don't, I'm not in control of all of my money, I feel like it bleeds over into other parts of my life where I feel like I'm not in control of all of my possessions. I feel like I'm not in control of the things that have been entrusted to me. And so um, I have a, I currently have a really old truck. Uh, it's a 2003 Silverado. It's a bit of a tank. Um, and that truck for the last six years that we've had it, um, I have typically left the keys in the cup holder and then anybody that has needed to use a truck can come by and use that truck at any point in time. Uh, I have had to replace the brakes on that truck one two three four times after somebody else had driven the truck and slammed on the brakes too hard and popped a brake line uh, and so i have driven the truck to the repair shop with no brakes four different times which was tremendously fun for me uh, but terrifying for my wife uh, but i got really good at it by the end it's like yeah i i got this um so you just have to learn how to use the e-brake and like how to coast and all these things um, and so, uh, but anyways, um, and so as I see, as we, like the truck is just a, just a small portion of that, like as we live in a home in Old Town, 
Like we see our home as being a place that is not just ours. We feel like it's something the Lord has given to us, that we have been blessed enough in order to have it, and that, that we like to have an open door policy with our home because we feel like it's not our stuff. This is stuff that doesn't last. This is stuff that's not going to last until eternity. This stuff is all going to rot and decay. And so why would I feel like I need to hold on to it? Why would I feel like I need to hoard it as opposed to living a generous life? And then as we think about money, like let's think about living generously as opposed to living um, stingily. Do you feel like that's a word? Yeah, if it is, we're going to say it. I don't want to be screwed, you know. Like, it's just stingy is what I'm supposed to say. Like, but I just feel like it needs a lee at the end of it. So stingily. Um, selfishly, that's probably, yes, yeah, she got it right again. Um, so let's live generously instead of living selfishly. Like, like, as we see our stuff, let's think about, like, how we can bless others with our stuff instead of how we can hold on to our, our own stuff. And so, like, we should be giving stuff away. We should be buying things for people. We should be living lives of radical generosity and that starts as we set aside that beginning portion of our income towards the Lord. Now some of you, as you're like, you're like, yo, Josh, like, I don't have any money right now. What do you mean? Like, how does this play out? How does this play out for me right now? I'm so glad that you asked. Um, again, you will set yourself up for the rest of your life if you begin to practice it now. As you have little money, you will set yourself up better to live off a portion of your income now than when you will get out and make bank, if you know what I mean. Let's go, yeah, get that bread, hey, uh, make it rain. Like, um, and so, uh, so some of you, you have part-time jobs right now. I would encourage you to set aside 10% of that and give it back to God. Some of you, you get an allowance from your parents still, and there's no shame in that game. Uh, you do that thing as long as they will let you. I uh, encourage that 100, 100%. I would encourage you to set aside a portion of that unto the Lord. Some of you, you're taking out student loans in order to make it, in order to survive. I would encourage you to even set aside a portion of that as unto the Lord. Now, I will not encourage you to take out more student loans in order to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I guess I'll just take out another loan. That's bad math, and we'll talk about that next week. Um, but what I will say is that, like, and to just start with something. We've been mentioning 10%, and I, I, I would love for all of you to do 10%, um, but what I, what I would really like for you to do is just start with whatever you're comfortable and then just move it from there. Because Jesus says in our passage that as you give, he'll give you back a hundredfold. That as you give, you will get more in return than you could ever ask or imagine. And this is the life abundantly. This is the life of joy. This is what it is. And so start with 1%. I don't care. Start with 2%. Start with a dollar a week. It really doesn't matter to me. Like, give a portion, give a piece back to Jesus and see what he would do in your own life and then see what he would do with that money that you have given. Now here's the other thing. I believe that as we tithe, as we give back to our, our local bodies, as we give back to our churches, as we give back to Chi Alpha, I believe that it will fund the church local for now and into the future. Man, I tell you what, the church operates on very, very poor efficiency. 
Uh, and what I mean is that like there's this Old Testament law, the tithe, and like as you've been, if you've been Sundays, they talk about tithes and offerings, and, and you, you see the, the plate being passed, and like sometimes when it comes to you, like you're just like, man, a lot of people must give online because there ain't nothing in this. It's like, we, and you're right. Uh, and here's what I want to say: um, the statistics that I have read, it is it is not good on who ties and who doesn't. Uh, my, the, the, the most generous statistic I've ever seen is that uh, a little bit less than 20% of Christians tithe every year. There is actually more money spent on dog costumes for Halloween than is given to missions every year in America. That's tough. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't have a dog, so I don't relate to that at all. But... Uh, and Hunter's a cat person, so we were listening to that message earlier at dinner. Um, and so, uh, but, uh, and so, like, imagine what the church could do. Have you ever been at a church, or have you ever been in Kyle, and you're like, man, I wish they did that, or I wish they did that, or man, it'd be nice if these seats were a little nicer, it'd be nice if, the music, if it, this, or this, or this, and 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 you can make a list of things that need to be better. It's like, well, you know, if the church was operating at 100% efficiency to where everybody that was in there was giving that which what they should or what they could, then maybe we would actually be able to do all those things. But then instead, the, the church is crippled because people are coming in as consumers as opposed to people are coming in as, as uh, generous livers. And so we think about what we can get out of church as opposed to what we can give to our church. But what we can give to God is, as opposed to what we can get from God. And it's all about we want to be takers instead of givers. I find this in myself, like, and so honestly, I think that this is one of the most helpful things about tithing for me is that it has helped me to love the place that I'm in because I am financially invested. Now, how many of you know that you are more financially invested, or as, as you're more financially invested in things, you care more about them? And so the more of your, like, as, as you take out student loans, as you, like, pay for college, you're like, yo, like, this stuff really matters. Like, this is X amount of dollars per year, so like I need to I need to hunker down on this. Or like as you uh, as you buy, if you buy a new whatever you would buy, you're like oh, this thing like matters. I'm like I was, all my examples were Playstations, and I was like trying not to use that as an example. Um, I don't remember the last time I bought a Playstation, but that was the first example I had, which is probably Chris's fault. Um, and so like and it's like man, like as I become more financially invested in this, I'm like I care more about this. And so it's like that is what happens for me and my local church is, as we give every month. It's like, man, like I am more invested in this place. I love this place more because I am a part of this. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a small part, but I'm doing what the Lord would enable me. And that I actually, we pray for more people around the world. We pray for more areas of the world because we're financially invested in those areas of the world. It has changed our hearts changed our prayer lives it's changed our thought lives because like our money is there and so part of us is there so i would encourage you as you live generous lives to get your money out there and to help that change your prayer life you'll become more dependent one because you'll be like yo lord like i gave you 10 percent. like i need to make that up somehow like something's got to happen here and like or it's gonna be like man like i'm giving x amount of dollars a month to the chose and in North Africa, and so I, I like want to be a part of that. Like I, I am like, and so like I begin to pray for North Africa a little bit more because I'm financially invested. 
So, as the band comes up, I want us to respond in worship tonight as we talk about money. I want us to, to worship the Lord who has been the God who has provided. He is a generous God. That, that, that The fact of the matter is that what Jesus asked the rich young ruler to do, to go sell everything he had and give it, give it to the poor, is not something that he wasn't willing to do himself. We'll see later in Mark's gospel, what we know is at the end of the gospel story is that Jesus literally gives everything away. He gives himself away on the cross, and that, that, that what he asked the rich young ruler to do is, is not something that he wasn't willing to do himself. And that because he did that on the cross for us, that we can now live lives abundantly, not just financially, but just in our own general lives, and that as we give back a portion of what he has given us, as we tithe, as we give our offerings, as we support missionaries around the world, that the Lord will give back to us a hundredfold what we have given. And we don't give just to get back, but we give because this is we serve a generous God, and so we become generous stewards of what He has given us. And so would you stand with me tonight? I'll pray, and then we'll respond in worship. So God, we thank you that you are a generous God, that you loved us first, that you love us wholly, and that you love us generously. And so God, I pray that tonight, that as we begin to think about what our financial lives look like, that we would begin to take a step of faith, of trusting you more, that we would set aside a portion of our income to give back to you, the God who has given us everything, that we would see our financial lives rightly, and God, that we wouldn't hold on to things, but that instead we would hold on to your promises that you are faithful and that you are worth it all. And so, God, we love you. We look forward to what you're going to do in us and through us. Amen.